My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. Again, with your Mark being Mark again. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the thing about podcasts is when you're on the air, and it's like therapy, you know. If I can't talk to my family about this stuff, I'll talk to you, Matt, and all our listeners. Yeah. So, who are we talking about today, Matt? Fiat currency Federal Reserve banking magic of yesteryear has taken a bow and gives a nod to its successor, blockchain cryptographs and social credit scores. It seems the money-making paper peddlers have been transacted for binary code ones and zeros traded by the non-binary cyber Nero, like AI, stretching its cold wires into the electroencephalographic control of Bluetooth earpieces and lit screens, pulling you deeper into the violent video drone of pop culture. Here to dispel the economic mental paradigm and open up a mystic mind map is Hotep Jesus, social scientist, content creator, and intellectual advocate who joins me for a conversation about history, race, economic system here in the United States, and most importantly, how to overcome that manipulation. Be sure to check out Hotep's book, The Patriot Report. I'm Mystic Mark. Thank you for tuning into the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast and enjoy this conversation with Hotep Jesus. Being a mystic means being able to be of the people. Right. And, and along this journey of becoming conscious, sophomore, junior years, you have that inability to be amongst the people because you're looking at people that are unconscious while you're conscious. And you're like, you don't see what's going on around you. Like, it's kind of like creepy. And then senior year, you understand why they have that state, why they're in that state. And then you're more of a guardian per se, right? Like a child, you know, doesn't understand something. You don't go, why don't you understand this? You go, oh, wow, it's so cute. You know, you'll grow into it and you'll grow to learn this thing, you know, that you haven't learned yet, right? That was a puzzle or whatever it is, right? You'll grow to learn these things. And, and so at the senior level, you just see somebody that's like, oh, okay, you'll get there. You'll, you'll see one day. 
I wanted to start off by talking about something that I think you definitely, I've heard you talk about it before, but you know, I'm wondering how much you're willing to talk about if you want to keep it more present, more relevant in what's been going on. Anywhere you want to go. Cool. Cool. Because I think it's really lately Tartaria, Atlantis, these topics have really exploded. People are talking about all sorts of different ins and outs. You know, some people say the civil war wasn't what we're told it was. People say, the colonization era wasn't what we're told it was. I've heard you say something that I've read several different times, and I'd love to expand on it further, something that I think most Americans would be shocked to learn about, the fact that there were African kingdoms who mm-hmm. sailed across the Atlantic Ocean, the Pacific mm-hmm. Ocean, way before Columbus, way before even the Vikings, and settled in south america and north america you know i think that's a part of our human history that's extremely overlooked and even purposely obscured and i'm hoping we can get into that well why did you choose that as as something to be of concern well i am interested in history and i think that Mm. that's something that is often played with by the historians to give people a false impression of their history. I think heritage is extremely important. And I Mm. think knowing your roots are extremely important. Mm. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I would, I would concur. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, for a guy like myself and the circles I run in, you know, that, that, that information is like basic, you know, and, and I, I think my years of putting brain work to, to that, you know, the causation, like why, right? Like the why for that question, I don't think is as important as the solution to the problem. So okay. I apply, I apply my brain to the solution of the problem, right? You know, instead of saying, oh, you know, why didn't they, you know, teach this history? It's like, all right, let's just teach the history. <laughs> right. Right. You know, and that's, that's more of the approach I take. So, and then it's like, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things, I think there is some psychological issues that uh, a young man or a young child may face when your history is uh, not told to you. But outside of that, I I think there's a lot of work to be done uh, to establish dominance in more important areas like economics. So ultimately, it's important, you agree, to know your history. But right now, that's not going to garner the solutions that are most important, right? It's important, but... You know, I'd rather apply our brains to currency, apply our brains to economics. You know, what do we produce and what's the GDP? What's the GMP? You know, let's get into those conversations. And then we can talk about history and all that stuff later. Like history should be complementary to, to these these subject matters. Well, I, I, I ask, I ask because be, the history has to be, there has to be some sort of desire and it has to be, it's more of a culture thing, right? Like what, what culture, you know, because there's a culture that is created that is passed down from, you know, parents to children, et cetera, et cetera. But um, yeah, now I, usually people's history is passed down from generation to generation. So it's like, it's really not up to somebody else to teach a history. Like it's your job to teach your history. Like, so like going by somebody else's version of history is just, wrong anyway because they're going to see it from their lens 
you, you know, you want somebody to tell the story that sees it from your lens. And so like, I, I, you know, when people complain and say, hey, why don't they teach a history? It's just like, well, it's not their job to teach the history. You know, it's your job to teach yourself and your, your own history. I would agree. And I would never, I would never fault somebody for saying, hey, you don't know your family tree. It's just like, why are you doing that? You know, like, isn't that my problem? <laughs> you know, so you know, it's on me to go and search my family tree. Unless I contracted it out to you, like, hey, go search my family tree. Here's some information, right? Then it's a different story as we're doing with the private marketing. That's all beautiful. But, you know, other than that, it, it, it's like, why am I expecting somebody else to teach me my history? You know, that just doesn't even make sense. Like, I would not expect an Italian person to be like, oh, damn Jesus, you, you didn't teach me my history. And it's like, yo, you're Italian. You know your history. Very fair point. Yeah. And I, I asked because I think your perspective is very different. You know, you made the comment that you know, this is kind of like, you know, white belt stuff to me and my community. Well, for the folks listening to this audience, you know, maybe this is just my perception, but I feel like we're getting half of the perspective, right? We're only getting yeah, everybody gets robbed when you tell a part of history. Absolutely. Yeah. White people lose out. Black people lose out. Everybody in the world loses out when you don't tell history. Absolutely. I mean, if you told history properly, I think the entire energy industry would be a quite different. Schooling was different. You know, energy wouldn't be an expense. It would be more like, yeah, I just, I hooked up a battery to my house. <laughs> right? Like, like think about the fact that you can't power your own home, right? Like you'd have to call somebody to tell you, Hey, we'll come by with the truck. But in the meantime, you know, you're asked out. But if you're somebody with like HVAC skills, and then you're like, okay, here's what's wrong with the boiler. Da, da, da. You just get the thing going again, right? So it's these, also these skills, like these blue, what they call blue collar jobs. Like, I'm like, no, what do you mean? Like baseline human responsibilities, right? Like baseline human responsibilities are, you should know how to like fix something around the house, right? Mm. Well, yeah. And it seems like they've, job they've compartmentalized people to the point where those things are separate, where they once were sort of all encompassing, like home, yeah. home was kept under a certain. Well, it's, the prior, it's the prioritization of what's taught, right? So mm. we look at uh, Booker T. Uh, Washington, Booker T. Washington. Yeah, he had the Tuskegee Institute, you know, for black students to go get that degree. But his philosophy was you learned a blue collar, what we would call a trade, right? You would learn a trade first, right? You know, we're going to learn how to fix cars, planes. What is it? What are you going to do? And I think that's, that's baseline for all young men. And, and that, 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 and that is, it provides stability, right? Because if, if anything goes wrong with your little corporate gig, at least you could run out there and change some oil or, you know, replace a catalytic converter or something. Right. Thank you. So, Yeah. You know, they, they rob your, your responsibility from you. And, 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 and Ted Kaczynski talks about that in his industrialization manifesto. Wonderful document. But the less we do for ourselves, the, the more unhappy we become. Right. You know, and I think that is like one of the psyops. Obviously, you know, liberals trying to help black people. And it's like, no, you're stripping them literally of their happiness by trying to, you know, do everything for them and solve all their problems. Like, no, we have to right. solve our own problems. Right. And, you know, as 27 years old, growing up in the state that I grew up in Connecticut, definitely, you know, 
wasn't handed a silver spoon, but I was more fortunate than your average person in the United States. And Mm -hmm. I started to be raised in that exact mindset. You know, I started to notice the school system, the media giving me a certain narrative of, you know, this less fortunate member of our society who needed my sympathy. And Mm -hmm. what I realized over time, and this isn't giving myself a pat on the back just because you're here, but what I realized is I was insulting the people that were my friends. You know, I had had friends that were black, Asian, Hispanic, you know, and I was Mm -hmm. insulting them by having this sort of prejudice in my head of sympathy almost like a prejudice to sympathize with them as if they didn't have an equal chance to do what i did that's good that's good that means you're 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 human and that's thank you you should you should you (laughs) should not feel guilty for having sympathy for people i would never say that well and and i didn't i didn't mean to raise that assumption i just you know wanted to express how commonplace this mentality is especially in certain parts of the country and then how that got basically reversed by the blue collar counterparts i was meeting who were kind of just like reminding me no 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 we're all in this we're all facing this you know it's it's much more complicated than they versus you know them and I think often what happens is behavior and experience get conflated. You know, people see the way other people are acting and conflate that with experience when it's just behavior. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. I mean, it just comes down to prioritization. What are you prioritizing in your society? For example, I was watching a video today, my friend um, Sammy. This is dude. And he basically says something and he's got to tell him how he feels about it. You know, rapid, rapid round style. So he asked him about, he asked him about Trump. There's something else he asked him about. Hey, I'm going to pull it up. I'm going to play it for you right now. Hold on. It was very interesting what, what, what this gentleman had to say. I'm going to play it. I'm going to play it live right now. Please do. Hold on. He has some interesting answers. He talked about Trump. You know I mean, he has some interesting responses to things. Here it goes right here. RBG with Peter Ginsburg. Mitch McConnell. I don't agree with almost anything. Much smarter than people. Floyd Abrams. No, I'm Rudy Giuliani. A destructive person. <laughs> Donald Trump. Danger, real danger to the country. Past and present. Today, the greatest threat to free speech is the public not supporting it. Right there. He, made it he nailed that. The greatest threat to free speech is the public not supporting it. Right. And I, he's, and he's, he nailed it. And I heard you say something recently compliance, trust, and participation are your three biggest problems with the average person because, you know, they're usually not even informed on how important free speech really is. And it's usually because they're participating, trusting and complying with a system that does not absolutely does not have their best interests in mind or even any of their interests in mind. In most cases. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Again, it comes back to the same thing. 
why do you depend on others for your, to have your best interest? Mm. It's counterproductive, right? It's counterintuitive. Again, you're reaching outside of self. The moment you reach outside of self, you create unhappiness. For example, you have a lot of, there was a girl who said she was going to quit her OnlyFans. But she finally got her the money and she still felt empty. Like they always say, money can't buy happiness. No, it can raise you up to Maslow's hierarchy of needs and get you to a point where, okay, I'm comfortable. But it can't get you happiness. Happiness comes through creation, right? Cre- creating something that's good, right? And then you'll find happiness. But she was saying how she was going to leave the OnlyFans industry. Why? Why? Why would she want to do that and make us all that money? Maybe she felt like she was degrading herself. Maybe she felt like she didn't want to expose herself that way. Because everything she wanted was outside of herself. Mm-hmm. Right. Everything she wanted was outside of herself. She couldn't find happiness within. If you can't find happiness within, you'll be without happiness. Right. You'll be without. If you can't find it within, you will be without. You have to look inward. Right. You look inward, and then that sprouts. And then you begin to affect the world. Like, what do they say? If you want to make the world a better place, start with yourself. It's absolutely right. It'll start resonating and emanating from your being, and it's contagious. You can change the room, and by changing the room, you could change history. You could change the future. Right. You know, you walk into uh, a deli, get your morning sandwich. Somebody walks through the door. A smile could completely change the trajectory of New York City. (laughs) That person, God forbid, you had a bad altercation. They go outside, they crash and then chain of events. Final destination style. It's crazy what could happen. So simply by being the best version of yourself, think about what you can do positive in the timelines you are now creating in this this matrix. We have to create positive timelines and just let the good energy, the God energy, just permeate to the point we don't feel the negative. Right. The negative becomes where we don't feel the happiness. It's never the extreme lows. It's just like the stock market. You can have higher lows or you can have lower lows. (laughs) What's the stock doing? I mean, if it's going up and coming back down, going up and coming back down. But what are those low points on the chart? If they're consistently going up, hey, I'll take these lows. But if you're constantly getting lower and lower and lower and lower, and that's what we're starting to see with our society. So, you know, it's no good. You got to sell. It's time to sell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> actually, no, it's, actually, it's time to buy. We're talking about stock market stuff. But uh, there's something wrong. There's some sort of panic and it's time for a reversal. But yeah, you know, the girl had to quit OnlyFans because she was never taught how to find happiness. But then everybody's looking outside of themselves and it's just not out there. You know, no matter what community you are, the best thing you could do for that community is look inward at that community and say, what do we value? 
okay, there's these things going on in the world. There's these movements and there's Antifa and all this stuff going on in the world. But where's your Antifa? Where's your organization? How are you, first of all, you're complaining that the people you elected, you've elected these people in Senate, in the House, you've elected them, so you're responsible for these people, right? And you're complaining about these people, but you elected them. Where's your organization to organize Congress? There are organizations by the multitude in which assist in getting these people elected by compromising the good consciousness of the hoi polloi. These are just facts. But they are organized. So where's your organization? That's what I believe in. Don't complain. Organize. We have our organization, Hotep Nation. You can support our organization. You can support another organization. Support the organizations, because there are a lot of people organizing. Support the ones that you believe in. Put gas in the cars that are going where you want to go. If you look at an organization and you believe in it, and you vetted it very well, you know you're not giving your money to whoever, whoever. Sure. You know, support the organizations. But that's the key to this. And then the other key to a lot of this is you know, fighting in the courtroom. You know, knowing your case law getting passionate attorneys on the case and start taking some of these, some of this legislation off the books. You know, it's not a time to pass new bills. It's a time to repeal bills. That's how I see things, especially when we're talking about on the local level, like Sonny Johnson was teaching me about all this stuff. She was talking about just the zoning, the, by the way you zone your town can dictate a lot, <laughs> right? So, and I'm not saying I'm any expert, but I played some city before. <laughs> I know what you can do by zoning, right? Choose your little zones and wear certain things and how that affects people. There's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of work to be done and, and so much work to be done that there's no time to complain. You know, the, the things that happen in this world around us, I always tell people, oh, is what, what distraction do they have, us, have for us today? Because no matter what it is, it's, it's a distraction. Ukraine, it's a distraction. Distraction from what? Distraction from yourself. Distraction from your family. Distraction from your community. Just because something happens over here doesn't mean things have to stop here. You can still show sympathy, but that means you stop. And every time there's a new movement or cause, that the media has presented before you, you pick up everything and you go to that new cause. It's just like, no, you can acknowledge that and still keep things going. We waste a lot of time getting caught up on frivolous events that are relevant, but not relevant. They're relevant to the masses, but to yourself, they are irrelevant. <laughs> Unless you're cashing in and making money off this stuff, right? And that's what content creators do, right? We, we assess this stuff and we become media outlets for the people. And that's like the gift and the curse because it's like, well, if we don't say it, the people aren't going to get it from CNN. And then we're back at the same place and we're saying, well, they're not telling us the truth. Well, it's on us to get on YouTube and tell the people the truth, right? So you're solving that problem, right? 
and creating that relationship, right? Between, okay, so they have their media. Let me pick my, because the people can create a whole new media if they wanted to, just by who they support, right? So if they got together and they say, hey, you know, we want to take uh, this organization. We love their podcast. Let's put a million behind them. We love this. And just went down the line and chose just five of your best streamers. You put a million behind each of them. You could really like create your own media based upon your taste, right? And I'm just speaking from like, just let's say it's just one dude who just happens to be sitting on bread, right? He could technically create his own media network just from his taste. I'll tell you what, I started a media cooperative I didn't spend any money other than hosting a website, altmediaunited.com, <laughs> united in free speech. See, you're organized, right? Right. You've, you've gotten that grouping of individuals that work towards a cause, right? I would call that, which is what some people are just so worried about when I use this word, but I would call that natural communism. I, for one, am a fan of communism. I really am. For me and my household, but me and a stranger? Oh, no. Hold on now. No, we must practice capitalism. <laughs> I don't know you. <laughs> I don't know you. You can only practice communism with family. That's it. And small groups of people, you can't do it. It doesn't work with large groups. It doesn't scale. Communism doesn't scale. Right? It doesn't scale. It works for corporate culture. Corporate culture is technically communism. It well, worked the shit out of people in corporate America. And I've heard you talk about this before and how America is this sort of Marxist nation with capitalist components to it. You know, can we go into that a little further? Well, yeah, that's, that's simple. We got to send you back. Right. When you think of, when you think of communism, you should think of centralization of power. That's all you get. Just communism, ego centralization. Let's, let's stop beating around the bush. Mm. Everybody want to talk about these, all these words and whatnot. And, eh. Communism and socialism is centralization. Listen, that's why the father is so important in the family, right? right? Because decisions are centralized. When decisions are centralized, you can move, you can move nimbly. When things are democratized, things slow down, processes slow down. That's why I love dictatorships and that's why I love uh, communist ideas, right? However, you can only do it with family and with people that want to be on the same page as you. If people don't want to be on the same page as you, you're forcing them to be on the same page as you. Okay, now we're dealing with fascism. You see what I'm saying? Right. Communism is okay. If you volunteer, you want to be a part of this, this is where we're going. This is how we build it. And you centralize the power and you can get there as long as the people in charge know what they're doing, as long as they're competent. You can get to where you want to go, right? But it's centralization. That's why the father, that's why they want to take the father out of the house, right? Because they need democratized decision-making, right? So mother is, is, is just making decision makers with the children and children have a say so. And then the government has a say so. And then now her girlfriend's got to say so. So they democratize the decision making. But had you centralized it within the father? Yeah, we discuss it. But dad is the one that finally makes the, he makes the final decision. He's the one that signs off. OK, this is the decision. It's not that the father is strong. It's just that the father is usually the more decisive one. And the decision must be made so we can go. It is better to hurry. You have to hurry up and fail. Most people, because your failure is inevitable. If you're not failing, you're not trying. So most people, what they try to do is they try to make the product perfect. And they take so long to make a perfect product that they put the pro uh, perfect product out and the, they find out the product's not perfect. And now they're like, oh my God, what I do wrong? It's like, you did nothing wrong. You, you cannot create perfect. 
you always reiterate on said product and make it better and better. So put it out, hurry up and see what's wrong with it. And then fix the things that really matter. Cause you're, you're really hypothesizing. Yes. No, put it, put it out in the world and, and, and let's work through it. That's what I tell people who hit me up and say, I want to start a podcast, record right. it, put it out and listen to what people tell. Cause that feedback that you get from those people that comment on your first few videos, those that's your ride or die. Those are the people that are going to stick with you yeah. for a hundred episodes. If you keep this up. So yes, Absolutely. I am 100% with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. You just have to connect with, you have to have a good judge of character. You have to have good character. And it work with other people of the same kind. Right. You build a beautiful world with character. Right. Sometimes people walk into good relationships with bad character. Great relationship, bad characters. But the characters have their act together. Things could have gone smoothly and everybody could have made money. I've been in situations like that myself. I'm thinking one as I'm speaking about. It's just, it's very odd. It's very odd. But again, you cannot allow allow yourself to be distracted by these things. You have to go with the flow, like as they say. You know, sometimes we spend so much time trying to change one thing that there's this other thing that's like demanding our attention that we're ignoring that is probably way more fruitful and drown this other thing out. We have to uh, allow uh, God to present us our opportunities and uh, pursue them relentlessly and, and not try to be so up here. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And and something we talk about on this show often is is how the conspiracy, whichever one it is, whether it's a grand conspiracy or it's a whole litany of small conspiracies, there is an aspect of society that is working to separate you from that higher version of yourself, the best version that you can be. There is a, a operative uh, condition, whatever it may be, whether it was set up on purpose or not, I, maybe it's there for, you know, the sake of whipping a, you know, whipping us into shape sometimes. But I'm wondering, you know, what exactly is that here in the United it's States? A test. Mm. It's a test. That's all it is. Threats a test. Right. He passes test. Right. Again, it comes back to yourself. What can you do? <clears throat> you know, you, you can't allow the threats, you know, taking so much time to analyze the threats because a lot of the threats aren't threats. They're only threats because we say they are. Right. Right. They can try to zap me with their information. That don't mean they'll be successful. <laughs> they could try to trap me and keep me from myself, but that's not, that's not a, their decision. That's not my decision. They don't dictate that. I have to grant them access to my consciousness. And if nobody has taught you how to put up a barrier in your consciousness, then well, it'll be intercepted. Right. It'll be compromised. So yeah, these threats exist. Well, I, I, you have to grant them access. You have to, you, you, you'd have to be naive in many cases as well. Well, I think that's exactly what school's been designed to do is to not give us a uh, sense of complete or wholeness in our own intellectuality. We need to go outside of our mind to find answers. We need to go outside of our own authority to feel like we're doing the right thing. 
I think that leaves people in a position where they're going to democratize their decision making rather than be more authoritative about it or be more, you know, you know, active and, and able to to make the right choice. You know, they they supersede that decision making process by, you know, setting the table as it's been set. And I know you recently wrote a lot about that in the Patriot Report, talking about how the United States government was basically hand-in-hand hand with the central banks from the beginning. Can we talk about how that sort of... Robert Morris. Mm. Robert Morris. That was that was George Washington. When George Washington needed money, he said, yo, go call for Robert Morris. <laughs> yeah. There's always going to be a financier around. The crowns of Europe, William of Orange, etc. There's always going to be, I think, Brandenburg. There's always going to be a financier around, a banker, a trader, a merchant, the money men. The, the, the people surrounding the currency dictate everything. The currency is a medium of exchange. You, you, become, the, you become the middleman when you control the money. There is an intellectual aptitude an individual must have to deal with money. Many of the kings of Europe, some of them, were illiterate and certainly not financially literate, just wasteful with money. Many kingdoms you can go through that was wasteful, you know, Rome, you know, wasteful with money, not being financially literate. At some point, couldn't even, because of their expansion, couldn't support their army, couldn't feed their own army, right? So this creates a need for somebody who is responsible and is financially literate. But if you're not financially literate, the guy who is can dupe you out your money, <laughs> right? So that's why you you need to be financially literate so you can do the checks and balances on your your guy, right? If you can't do that, then, well... You have to trust him. You have to have ultimate trust. And if this is not a trustworthy person, bad things can happen. But if it's a trustworthy person, then good things can happen, right? But again, we don't live in a perfect world. So again, I say, if your money in your country is a little funky, maybe you weren't financially literate. In fact, that is the argument that Alexander Hamilton made when he was advocating for a central bank. He said, y'all, the people don't know how to manage their money. They need somebody to manage it for them. They're not capable of this, is to paraphrase him, right? And in, in a way, he's right. However, that doesn't mean it's your job to provide the solution. It's up to the people to figure out, like, again, hurry up and fail. Right. You, if you don't allow people to fail, you take away their ability to learn. And that is another part of this. They don't want you to fail because if you fail, you will learn. And then I would render them obsolete and unnecessary. Indeed. Yeah. And, you know, I heard you also say that this all started, at least our current economic system in the, you know, particular flavor that it operates started with a man named John Law, who I'm reading here. He was the first person to, to issue credits on this land, gold, silver, right. You know, in the way that they do now in the West and, I think you're absolutely right when you talk about Hamilton saying, you know, 
well, people, they're yeah, not going to be able to figure it themselves, but we ought to. We ought to be able to. We ought to, you know, rather than just doing it for us, why not educate us to be able to do it? John Law was running the Mississippi company. Mm. He was, he was uh, part of the reason for the Louisiana Purchase. That land was, was, was invested in swampland. It turned out to be a failed project because, well, Louisiana in that area was swampland. Can't do much with it, right? But what he was doing was he was issuing more credits. Then there was resources to, to back it up. And many of the speculators, you know, you had what they said, pauper the rich. And then when it all came down, the rich were now paupers again. But it was, he was responsible for inflating the currency, you know, not having a, a one-to-one reserve and speculating. And I believe he even up and opened up another dummy company. Then he debased, he debased the, uh, he deva- devalued the currency. Uh, then there was a bank run. Then he was like, he put it, he, he shut the bank, right? You know, like they do today. Same thing they do today. When people go to the bank, you know, you go to, like like when the uh, GME, AMC stuff happened, right? In the stock market. Then they just cut it off. Right? <laughs> so like, you know, like stuff like that. So the same thing that happened in then is, is happening now. That's why I really wouldn't just like illustrate for people. Like the same thing they were doing and the same thing they're doing now. Not new underneath the sun. But yeah, the the concept of the central bank is not new. You know, uh, people, even, you know, people even talk about the Federal Reserve. And to me, like the, the most important events in history uh, at least from a financial level, it was definitely the Brand Woods Agreement, and, and not the Federal Reserve. In fact, the Federal Reserve didn't get its power until 1980. To be honest with you, with the uh, Monetary Control Act, and that's when you start getting the AML, the anti-money uh, money laundering laws and whatnot. But the Fed didn't really get its power until 1980, and it was a Monetary Control Act. <laughs> like, okay, all monetary control is <laughs> the Fed. Like that was like the final nail in the coffin. Like you still had hope up until late 1980. You know what I mean? And that's why I say like, that's not the big deal. The big deal was the highway robbery that became the brand was agreement under the Keynesian economics and putting the United States as a world reserve currency and allowing other nations to inflate their currency based upon the labor of the Americans. Like I thought that was like a crazy ass event to me. And then later banning gold, but people, even people talk about oh, 1933 and the banning of gold. And it's just like, ah, Bretton Woods agreement was way more serious. Mm. They, they, you know, they basically sold the labor of the entire nation for cheap, man, and created like massive amounts of debt. In fact, that's when hyperinflation set in 1971, the dissolving of the uh, Bretton Woods agreement. You just, if you go look at the chart, it's just crazy. Just type in 1971 inflation, you'll see the chart pop right up. But that was, you know, people talk about hyperinflation and damn, like we already experienced hyperinflation, 1971, go look it up, people. Like, don't let them fool you into thinking that the we haven't experienced hyperinflation, <laughs> you know? So people are like, oh, we're going to experience hyperinflation. Well, we already did that, bro. <laughs> we missed that train. And that's what I said. Like, you know, people are naming like certain dates. And I'm like, nah, 1971. What's another significant one? Oh, the Bolshevik revolution. The Bolshevik revolution is, oh man, like that's the real turn of the century, I guess, in, in a way, man, you know, it, it, and it's funny because today, like we look at Russia and it's just like, Russia's still like, oh, the bad guys, right? It's just like they've been chipping away at Russia for so long, right? They they assassinated or allegedly assassinated the Tsar and the family, right? And apparently the son was still alive thereafter. I think his name was Nicholas or something like that, the one with the hemophilia. And, you know, it's just, uh, 
because they've already conquered the rest of Europe, right? They, they set up the central banks all across the, the major five, Austria, Germany, England, France. Which one am I missing? Italy. So, yeah, it's, it's it, it, you know, Russia's like that last piece, right? And, and interesting enough, like when we talk about the Civil War, it's like you can't talk about the Civil War without mentioning Russia. Um, Russia was a major ally to the North. Uh, the North was surrounded. The French, British, and the South were, were the enemies. They were surrounded, right? So it's the Russians who basically helped us with the Navy and said, nah, you know, we're going to make sure that international laws of war are abided by. You're not going to block off. These people need resources. They need resources. So they made sure that the British weren't able to like set up blockades on imports, et cetera, et cetera. So the North won the war, right? In fact, the real reason why slavery was abolished is because of Russia. Russia had just uh, basically abolished slavery and moved to, uh, I guess, serfdom or whatever you would call it. But it was a gesture to Russia to say, hey, look, you know, we're on the same page as you guys. Help us out. And, 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 and that's why we have Alaska as a territory. It was part of the deal. It was part of the repayment process, right? They were like, look, take this Alaska off our hands. And we had to, we had to buy it. We, had, we bought Alaska back from them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so that's how that whole situation went about. But, I, you know, I wrote the book. I just, I wanted, I was very curious because my intuition told me there was something not right with the history of money. So I went and spent a couple of years, you know, just digging up information and, you know, trying to find, figure out a good way to present it to people in a way that they would get it. I try to stick to more of the hardcore facts, congressional record, primary sources, quotes directly from the primary sources. Not like, not like you know, what I got from Spouse's book, but no, here's what the individual who lived at that lifetime and was in this situation said, <laughs> right? On both sides, right? Like, you know, like if we're talking about Edward Mandel House, what what are, what are some of the, what were, what were the words in some of the cables he was sending to uh, Woodrow Wilson, right? Like, let's deal with that. Let's not deal with like what they say, conspiracy theory. Like, no, this is what he said. Like, don't tell me that's not what he said. You know, what did um, Secretary William Jennings Bryan say? What did Robert Lansing say, right? Robert Lansing was the secretary over there. What did he have to say? Like, let's look at these things. Even when we look at legislation, you know, you're looking at Supreme Court Justice Marshall and what he's, you know, his words on Marilyn versus McCullough, right? You know, this is the type of information I want to get out to people. You know, something that nobody could refute because this happened and you cannot deny that and i wanted to present it in a way that was pretty much in chronological order right like we start in europe what is that 17th century 16th century and then we move on into america but we cover you know all the banks right we cover the bank of north america which is the first bank then you got the first bank then you got the second bank and then we finally just defeated the second bank right they tried another time failed and then that's when we got the Federal Reserve years later, 1913, you know what I'm saying? And then the IRS and then the income tax and all that stuff started coming out of pike. So all that stuff was, you know, not cool at all. But yeah, you know, I just think that, you know, we live in a world where, you know, like, like we started this conversation off, you know, talking about like race and, you know, history and all of that. And I'm like, yeah, that's, those are great conversations. But the reason why we're in this mess is because we don't understand money. We <laughs> You know, when you allow somebody to control your economics and your means of economics, it's you basically, uh, that's, 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 that's your daddy now. That's your daddy now. <laughs> right. You know, and you know? It, it's funny you say that because Ross Ben, someone who I've met, someone who I, 
I really dig his work. He talked about how we're moving from the nanny state to the daddy state and how oh, the government is exactly. take, is taking on this new role. And wow, yeah, I am 100% in agreement. And it's wild to see how at the same time they've, you know, really warped our ability to understand money. They've given us this idolization of money or at least just being rich not wealthy but rich has be become idolized but seems like the road to riches is not well you know well kept you know there's no road signs to to lead you down the right way right 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 no no absolutely it's not gonna be your mama gotta give you those your daddy gotta give you those your brother your sister somebody close to you I mean, you know unless you run into uh, one of those benevolent strangers right who, who puts you on a game as we would say but but again, right, coming back to, you know, people complain about the Fed. And it's like the same people complain about the Fed are resistant to Bitcoin. It's just like those those two ideas are diametrically opposed. You got to do better than that, <laughs> right? Yeah, and, and it is sad to see that there is and, this. And, Go ahead. And, 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 and even William Williams Jennings, Williams Jennings Bryant, even the secretary of treasury, even he, he, he capitulated and said, you know, um, actually, no, it wasn't the secretary. I'm sorry. It wasn't treasury. Even he said like, look, they're using a whole bunch of terms that I don't under, do not understand. Right. Like it's just way too complicated. And that's what they did. They took something that could be simple. You know, Thomas soul breaks it down into a very simple language, but they, they, they brought things that could be so simple and made them complicated just to confuse people, right? And after you after you sit down and break, like I was on the train one day with, with, with a hedge fund kid and he was telling me about how he worked at the hedge fund. So I was like, explain to me what he does, right? So he, 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 he spent five, 10 minutes, maybe I forget, explaining to me what he does. So I said, after, the, after he was done, I was like, so you move money around? He was like, yeah. <laughs> Right. And so you're doing, you're moving money around. Right. And we don't explain it to people like that. Right. We, we add all these intricate terms and, and, and labels to things and transactions, you know, this type, like, for example, like stock in a company is also called a security. Right. And it's just like all these terms that mean the same thing. So it's like, you have to go to college college but like you know you'd have to study up right like to to understand it's not user terms. friendly <laughs> it's not user friendly right. at all right and and it's made like that on purpose right like because that's how you turn it into an industry you gotta you gotta gate it you gate it with 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 intellect you intellectually gate it <laughs> and that's why sometimes i tell people i'm like yo the only reason why they can run game one is because they're smarter than us all right well and it is exciting to see the amount of people listening to podcasts, because I remember when I was just delivering oh, yeah. packages, learning this stuff through podcasting, you know, I would sort of gravitate towards the conspiracy ones, not because I'm, you know, totally slanted that way. I am, but because that's where the information seems to be unfettered, unboxed on, you know, it might it was not contrary. Be it was contrary to what you, right. what you were used to. Right, and it's so not all in one, one vein, you know. It's there's so many varieties of opinions. So it's kind of, you know, lately seeing crypto being either encouraged to the point where you're like, okay, this guy's like a salesman, or just totally 
this is the worst thing to happen. You know, there seems to be two sides. It's very divisive right now, at least in this small community, the one that I'm a part of with conspiracy culture, we'll call it. Crypto has divided people. You know, it, it doesn't seem like it's it's going to be that user-friendly alternative to traditional currency. The community is not very welcoming. It's very annoying, actually. <laughs> yeah. The, the crypto community. Makes it hard for someone like me to, to understand or know who to yeah. ask the right questions to. So. Yeah, because, you know, you're like, hey, I think I'm going to buy Bitcoin today, right? And then it's like, what's Bitcoin? You better use this Bitcoin. If you don't use Bitcoin, you're an asshole. <laughs> it's like wait what there's more than one bitcoin <laughs> right it can be very very hard for a new person to 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 introduce themselves to the community because the community is so tribal you know you, i got this coin and this coin and this coin does this and that coin does that and it's like all right cool everybody relax calm down it's good we have diversification of currency i love it but you know we got noobs here and you're scaring them away <laughs> you know it's like it's like uh you know, you 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 you're at a hotel party, right? And the girls show up, and and the homies like you know rush up to them, like, oh my god, they're so pretty, da da da. It's like, oh, you gonna scare the girls away? Like, relax, like calm down, like act normal, right? <laughs> and that's what happens. Everybody's so thirsty to like sell these people on you know their religion that the person's like, I don't even know if I want to be a part of this anymore. <laughs> Or maybe I'll just keep it private. So you don't even know, you know, who supports what. So now we got to, which is good. Now you got to go based upon hash rate. All right. You know, what's the hash rate on some of these, some of these tokens. And then who's really, who's really, you know, put your money where your mouth is per se. <laughs> right. Now, what, yeah. what tips could you offer someone like me who is very new to it? I've invested in Ethereum only because I'm on Rockfin and it's pretty inherent. You know, when you're on Rockfin, you have to use Ethereum to convert your Ray. But other than that, I've only ventured to invest in like Shiba and and Bitcoin, you know. Yeah, well, uh, again, the Bitcoin BTC community is built. It's king. Placing your money there first is probably your best bet. It's just being agnostic, not taking sides. It's your best bet. It's king. All right. We need to stop beating around the bush and stop acting like that's not the gorilla in the room, but that's the gorilla in the room until somebody can dethrone them. You know, it is what it is. But Bitcoin has a, a huge head start. And yeah, you know, so I would use something like Coinbits to dollar cost average in Bitcoin. Like just get, just start, you know, allowing, you know, the systems just make buys for you, right? Like, I don't think about it. The system makes a buy for me, you know. Coinbase just makes the buys for me. And I get a receipt every Monday or Tuesday or whatever it is. You know what I mean? And it tells me, here, how's how much Bitcoin you got? And I put the same amount in every week, right? And it's just like that. So I'm continually stacking sats. So maybe a year from now, I go in and I check my account. Let's see, okay, you know, what's this doing, right? And if I want, I can extract it, send it to a wallet, and I can hold on to it. Or the exchange, or the, the, the comp their, their company can hold on to it. You know, it's whatever. But, you know, it's about getting in a habit. So now once you have accrued some Bitcoin, it's like, okay, you know, hopefully over that year, you've been educating yourself little by little. So now you can use that Bitcoin and start participating in the community, like start making purchases and transactions and investments, like invest in projects with your Bitcoin, you know, situations like that. It's, it's, it's really about, it's really about using the currencies, not so much about like trying to invest in it as opposed as it is. It's really what it is. It's a hedge against the dollar. Let's just be honest. It's a hedge against the dollar. 
It's like, you want to hold on to the dollar or, or you trust the dollar more than Bitcoin? I don't know. <laughs> I just, I just don't trust the dollar, you know, more than Bitcoin. And I think that's really what it comes down to. And if people can't, if people trust the dollar more than Bitcoin, then hey, you know, more power to you. I, I think if you read the Patriot Report, you probably wouldn't. Right, and I, I think that's why there is so much fear mongering in this area. I had a, a a great conversation with a gentleman by the name of Nandi Martin. Shout out to him down in Haiti. And he was kind enough to send me some little Haiti coin because one of his projects that he was kicking off was getting this community in Florida using this cryptocurrency. And I think, you know, whether or not that ended up working out for him, it's promising to see things like that happening where communities are able to take advantage of this new currency to yeah, decentralize themselves away from this less trustworthy system and maybe start their own. What are, what are your thoughts on on that? Like small communities using the crypto space? Yeah, absolutely. But that's what it's for. It, it, it's 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 the it's freedom of choice. You know, just like you you have a choice of what you want to wear, you have choice of the currency you'd like to use. I think that's a valuable choice people need to have. I don't think we should be stuck to using one type of money. We should be accustomed to trading different currencies. I, I think we've gotten away from that because, again, we've allowed financial institutions or financial experts to manage our money, to hold our money, right? We've, we, we've never had that responsibility. I mean, what are they doing with our money while they, while, while, while they hold it, right? Because if you start a bank, right, and 10 of us put money in that bank, Right. Let's say we put, you know, a billion each. So this bank's got ten. They are not going to make loans off of that ten off of that ten billion. They're going to leverage that billion to create debt, and then flip that new money. So what does that mean for us? That means we could have taken that money, put it somewhere. And had it multiply for us, but instead they took our money and they made it multiply. And, and, and so that's another part of crypto where you have staking, right? You could just stake your money on the, on the uh, token, right? And, and make an APY on it, right? I make an APY on, on Ethereum, right? But you should, be, you should be paid. Your money should be paying you. You know, if your money's not paying you, then you're not thinking about money correctly. You know, that's why I try not to hold on to dollars. You know, I put them in the stock market or something, right? Put it in something. At least I know it, uh, even if it don't go down, it stay, sustains and has slow growth over time. That's way better than dealing with inflation, <laughs> right? The dollar is slowly, slowly just, you know what I mean? So it's just common sense to not hold on to dollars. And I think that's why the rich are rich because they understand the concept of debt. Right. Right, and this is kind of taking us to a subject that I hope we can talk about, which is classism versus racism and how the narrative gets switched to racism when I think really classism is the major issue in a lot of ways behind most of the problems we have in society. It's it's one group of individuals of a well, different group. You, you, what, you have is, what you have is potent racism and, and net racism or impotent racism. So potent racism would be 
apartheid South Africa minimum wage laws. Potent racism would be South Carolina minimum wage laws, right? And basically saying, hey, uh, we're going to install these, these, these minimum wage laws so that Black people can't compete on price, right? This is where minimum wage laws pretty much get their history from. Like, it's born out of racism, <laughs> right? Now, somebody, you know, calling you the N-word flying down the street, you know, that's impotent racism. You're not really harming me, right? Like, if Joe Rogan says the N-word in the media, like, that's not bothering me. I'm, I don't, really don't care, right? I like Joe Rogan. He's cool, <laughs> right? But... You know, the, the, the people would focus on impotent racism and not straight up racism. Like LBJ's entire civil rights bill for us was like the destruction of the black community, right? His civil rights and all, and all that help and aid. Yeah, it, 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 the aid is just the destruction. Again, coming back to necessity, you know, and coming back to independence, how much independence you have, you depend on somebody else who's giving them an option to screw you. It just comes back to the same same point every single time. Right. Right. And and it feels like the weapons that have been used against the black community by this establishment, white or what have you, those same weapons can work against any group of people. It doesn't matter. Well, they are used against all right. types of groups of people. Exactly. Absolutely. If you look at the Ludlow massacre, man, they murdered a whole bunch of white folks, man. <clears throat> white folks, kids, women. With the National Guard's help. Right. Pinkertons and the National Guard. Ludlow Massacre. I believe that's in Colorado somewhere. Right. There's a lot of crimes against humanity that's been done by the state. And that's my point. You know, it's like, can you say racism doesn't exist? Like, no, it definitely exists. Right? Can you say that black people are the only people who are getting it bad in America? No, you can't say that. I think we're all getting shafted. We're getting shafted as soon as we touch this money. <laughs> as soon as we have to transact in this money and we dealing with a financial institution, it's like, oh, wait, hold on, what's going on? I want to send my friend, you know, $20,000. Why do I have to fill out all this paperwork and answer these questions? Oh, you're going to tell me no? Dude, why, why are you holding my money? Like, it's my money. Just send it to him, please. Thank you. Right. Like, what's, is there a fee? What's the fee? Just tell me the fee. Like, how much is it going to cost to send the money? So it's like, you know what, forget all this. I'm going to just do it in, in Bitcoin because nobody can tell me no with Bitcoin. Right. Hey, see how we just come back to like these options, these freedom of options. And I don't have to answer anybody. If I want to send you $20,000 worth of Bitcoin, I'm going to send you $20,000 worth of Bitcoin. And nobody can stop me. It'll be in 15, it'll be in 10, 15 minutes. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is what we could do, but you know, you, you, and that's why I say, like, we all screwed from the very beginning. That's why I wanted people to understand that like, we all screwed from the very beginning. So now where do we go from here? Right. Well, and, and that's exactly where I hope we can take this conversation. But I want to go maybe a little bit into the past and ask you when this started for you. I know there's the FAQ, folks who want to learn more. They can go on hotepnation.com. They can go to your website, briansharp.co. But... Between me and you, and like, where did this start for you? Because this shows a lot about, you know, family and, and what makes us, you know, grow past this sort of, like, need to 
fit in, you know, because my families thought I was crazy for going against the grain, thinking differently, thinking in a way that wasn't accepted by the mainstream media. But I've heard, you know, your father was a very special individual. It's not common to hear that you were raised by a mystic, right? And tell us a little bit about that and like the beginnings of, of this journey for you, because I think you're on a very inspiring journey and, and your mission to raise the intelligence of the average person. You know, I think that's very noble. You know, there's this, there's this game called Wordle that everybody plays. Mm. So ordinarily, I don't, <clears throat> I don't like to just rush and do what everybody does, but my, my family, my mom and my dad, they play this. They're older. So you play, you know, they like to play word games. And we play this as a family. Right. And my father's kicking our ass. And really what it comes down to is he's picking really good first words. Right. If you can get a couple of letters in that first word as well, all right. You know, you it's like when you get to like the fourth word and it's like, damn, like I only got one, and then maybe the other one's not in the right spot. It's just like, oh God. So now it's like that. What's the first word? <laughs> what first word are we using today? Right. And it because you know, he always just inspired me to use my intuition. He would say that a lot. Follow your intuition. He would say that a lot. Fighting intuition, fighting intuition, fighting So when that's in you at a young age, it becomes your philosophy. You know, if I was playing sports, you use your intuition. No matter what I was doing, you know, going for a job interview, you know what you got to do. Like there's certain things you have to do mystically or spiritually within self to fine tune yourself for events. You know, a lot of it is placebo on self-talk. How do you talk to yourself? Right? Self-talk. I would never, I would never tell somebody that spirituality is anything other than placebo. If you can convince yourself of it, you can create it. The mystical part is the fact that it actually becomes creation. That's the mystical part. It's like, oh shit, because I thought it, it came to be. Right? Because I believed that it came to be. Right? Like, I believed in my dreams, so I got in the music game. Stay in New York City. That shit was lit. Till it wasn't. <laughs> right? But you can have anything you want. But you first got to believe it. You know, they, they, there's all types of uh, experiments that they've done in the medical industry with placebo and people who, you know, get a sugar pill and people who don't and how they feel. They, you know, I don't have to ground. Everybody knows about that stuff. But yeah, so, you know, my dad just, you know, instilled in me to have certain principles about myself that would just, you know, keep me on the path, as he would say. Right. Stay on, stay on the path. That's something he would say, stay on the path. And do you think that naturally led you towards this service towards others? Or do you think this is something that is inherent to who you are? Because I agree. I think there's something to that, you know, no, nah, nah, you know, you know, I'm very much like my dad, like my dad, like he give you shirt off your back if you need it. You know what I mean? Like I've seen him help so many people that he had no business trying to help. You know what I mean? And I get it from him. Like we just, we're just people who like, we can't, we can't stand to see people suffer. It, it burns them. It, it, it burns them. He, he can't, he can't take it. So I'm very much the same way. Like it burns me to see people suffer. 
That's just how, this is how we're built as individuals. And I think because I have his genetic traits, that's what I got. That's the luck of the draw. God, I'm the fucking guy who cares about people. <laughs> you know, it's just, it just is what it is. But I think, I think the mysticism just kind of helps you deal with that responsibility, right? Help you harness that responsibility, you know, because everything is here on purpose and everything is a test. So whatever responsibilities you were given, those are meant for you. Those are, will help create you and you help create in, in the world. So those natural proclivities are the path. You know, they, they, are, they are actually the bricks of the path. Yeah, man. Right on. Yeah, I'm with you, man. And I wonder, you know, from this perspective, what do you think of events like what we just saw at the Super Bowl? What do you think of like a president like Joe Biden, like, this mystical mindset, you know, I think it's hard to participate in normal society once you've taken that sort of new perspective. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Yes. So, yeah, that is as probably like sophomore, junior year, junior year, you start to shed some of that. Right. So, you know, being a mystic means being able to be of the people. Right. And, and along this journey of becoming conscious, sophomore, junior years, you have that inability to be amongst the people because you're looking at people that are unconscious while you're conscious. And you're like, you don't see what's going on around you. Like, it's kind of like creepy. And then senior year, you understand why they have that state, why they're in that state. And then you're more of a guardian per se, right? Like a child, you know, doesn't understand something. You don't go, why don't you understand it? You go, oh, well, it's so cute. You know, you'll grow into it and you'll grow to learn this thing, you know, that you haven't learned yet, right? Like it was a puzzle or whatever it is, right? You'll grow to learn these things. And, and so at the senior level, you, you just see somebody that's like, oh, okay, you'll get there. You'll, you'll see one day. And then once you have that perspective, you, you sort of live with it. So yeah, once you yeah once you understand things, you know you you don't even see people anymore. It's like Neo; he started just seeing the green letters and whatnot, right? Like that's where I'm at now. I just see green letters. I don't even see people. <laughs> you know, if I see you awaken and like you're glowing, you're glowing and out of this whole matrix, right? But yeah, once you you start to understand the program, you can't be mad at the program. It's in the program. It's just like, how are you going to uh, unlock said right. program? Well, and I'm glad you brought up the Matrix metaphor because last year, actually the year before, we were supposed to have a podcast in uh, Philadelphia. I was there with Sam. We ended up rescheduling it to last year. And you had a great conversation on Tinfoil Hat with Sam. And yeah. towards the end, you guys were talking about tech and this like basic what I got was a, a strong sense of optimism and in the message you were sending, which was like, Hey, no matter how far they get with the drones, with the surveillance state, we have minds that are equal that are working on workarounds in the technological realm. Right. Yeah. And I, and I'm wondering, you know, from that Neo perspective, what, what are we what are we doing now to to fight Mr. Smith? Because it's one thing to recruit other people to 
to see from our perspective, but how do we fight Mr. Smith? There's always going to be a, a dark web. Right. Right. We got the web, we got the dark web. There's always going to be an underground. There's always going to be a black market. It just, again, natural laws of economics. If you want to get into mysticism, this is the law of duality, right? Where one side exists, the other side does. This is why the Chinese people got the uh, yin-yang symbol, right? It's that natural balance to life. And that's why one side is light and the other side is dark, right? Dark web. <laughs> so it's just, the, you know, the natural balance of things. Right? So we'll have, like you see it in the movies. Like you ever watch Altered Carbon? No. Oh, man. It's a, it's a Netflix um, series. Okay. And when I had COVID, I sat down and watched like the whole thing. All right. Um, yeah. But... You have, for example, the guns are like electronic, right? Electronically activated and, and whatnot. It's a future, right? And you got like these different types of chips and cybernetics and transhumanism type thing going on. And you got some created by the government. And you got some created by the dude on the side street, right? Who can hook you up with some, some good cybernetics. So, you know, or jailbreak your phone. You know, we've been jailbreaking phones for how long, right? So you can use Skynet devices and use them against them in a way, you know? Right. I've not jailbroken my phone yet, but I have a, I have this fabric. It's called Faraday fabric. And I out, I like line my pockets with it basically. So I'm not getting any EMF radiation on my phone to my body. And I think those yeah. sorts of like I and I have a, a beanie that a past guest sent me that's got that same fabric on the inside, you know, to protect your brain from this kind of thing. But it definitely <laughs> it definitely feel yeah, like a tinfoil hat. It basically, you know, it feels like we're entering into this new world where there are invisible threats, you know, there are possibly you know you don't think, you know? No, let's get into that. I mean, because I think that's another one of these same in the same I vein as crypto, saying. where they're where they're sending a lot of fear out about this, and maybe it's all for for nothing. What are your thoughts on that? Fear don't affect me. The only thing that can affect me is what I say can affect me. Absolutely, yeah. Led to one hundred and fifty-five. With that, right on. Did I say so? Right. These fears. Just having the fear of your device is probably more toxic to your body than the fear, than the actual effects of the device on your body. You just, you fearing the device alone is going to increase your cortisol levels at even a minuscule rate. That's measurable. Yeah. That's and, measurable. <laughs> it's and, a direct effect on your body. Your and, cortisol levels is what. <laughs> not to mention you're wasting time that could be used productively with that device to, you know, better your life. And myriad of ways. There's things you can do with that emotional energy. Mm. That emotional energy is what you need to manifest things. Mm. The universe doesn't speak in language. You don't ask God for anything. You feel what you want. And God creates the circumstances for you to receive. You don't speak to God. There's a billion fucking people on this planet or whatever. And they all speak a different language, right? (laughs) If we all believe in the same one God, there's only one God, as some people would say. God is multilingual. I mean, sure, because he's the all-knowing, so of course he should be, but it's not how God operates. Right. 
God ain't got time for that. What do you feel? That's what God want to know. I hear what you're saying. What do you feel? Feeling right? is universal. Yeah. Feelings is Hey, man, it's just like, you know, you all talking no action. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So if you have the, the vibratory frequency of whatever it is that you want to achieve, it'll naturally manifest because of the law of compensation. What goes up must come down. So the universe will always return whatever frequency you put out. Even if you look at it from a very physical level. Absolutely. Yeah. And you see that with, you know, relationships. I know you put out a book. You want to understand spirituality, you got to study water. Mm. Okay. The frequency of the wave can be changed by the speed at which you move it. But the top is going to be the same angle as the bottom. That is the frequency. How wide is it? Right. If I take my hand and go like this, it's going to be very small frequencies. But if I go real slow, the waves are going to be bigger, right? They're going to expand. Okay. That is a frequency. You have the same thing when you deal with radio. There's a frequency, right? How you feel can be measured in a frequency. I can measure your frequency. Okay? Sometimes we measure it in things like, what's your temperature? 90, right? Yeah, 90 degrees, right? Right, right? whatever that is. Right? Right. right. When you are scared, you shiver. You've raised your frequency. The shiver is the in the water. Right? Heart start racing. Again, you've raised your frequency. Fear puts you in a very low frequency. It makes things very erratic. You don't want to put, because whatever frequency you have is the ripples you make in the water. Right? The water is the universe and everything around us is the matrix. The water is the matrix. How I move my hand is my frequency. It's going to create a frequency. How I feel is the hand. Or the hand is expressing as it splashes through the water and creates these waves. My emotions are going to dictate how that water ripples. How you feel as an individual is going to create a frequency and it's going to ripple through this universe, this matrix. And whatever that is, it's going to come back. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a, a fundamental understanding that can change your life a lot of people you know i can remember jobs i i'd work where you you work alongside of these people who were just constant complainers and and maybe i was just sensitive but i got to the point where i was i would really just try to block them out because i realized like they were not helping their situation at all they maybe they thought if they just bitch and moan and complain about everything that bothered them that that would you know relieve the stress but it really only seemed to compound and compile the stress and and yeah you ever seen a lot of tests? <laughs> tell us yeah i've seen one but tell us what why what what that need to do like this right, right okay and then they ask you the question, and that motherfucker need a move, don't it? Mm-hmm. Right? No matter what the question is, it's going to have a certain. Right. Everybody got a frequency, though. Yeah. 
got to check your frequency. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, I, I mean, that's why going out in nature, going for drives, even listening to podcasts can be a big uh, reset or a harmonizer for me. What are some things you do in your life to, to reset and uh, reharmonize daily Work. practices? Work. Work? Work. Work on things I love. Right. You know, end of my day is spent learning Spanish. And then I go to bed watching some chess games. You know, I'm an avid chess player. Right. I should say an avid chess student. So... I mean, I'm I'm more of an individual. I have I have obsessive behavior, where when I do something, I got to be the best at it. <laughs> like I can't step second place, or or whoever's in first place is gonna be, you know, they're gonna notice me. I'm like, yo, this dude's running shit. You know what I mean? So you have to make me in the same conversation with the best, right? It's it's just so. When I do something, I go hard at it. That's just, that's just me. That's how I've always been. It's been my, it's been, it didn't help me too much in corporate America because corporate America culture for employees doesn't work like that. Usually people get a job and they're like trying to do the least amount of work, right? Just for the paycheck. Mm-hmm. And I'm the moron walking in, like ready to like be the number one guy in, in the building. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And it doesn't make you too popular amongst other employees because you come in doing all this work and now everybody's looking at the rest of the team. Like, you know, how's he putting out all this output and you're not putting out this output and we pay y'all and y'all here longer, you know, it just makes everybody else look suspicious. So usually it doesn't make me popular. Most other workers, but that's just how I'm built. Man. You know, right. We're working on something we're going with. It just is what it is. I, I don't know losing. Right. Well, and I want to touch on something that maybe, is a little bit of a outsider subject for me, but maybe you'll have some more to share, maybe from a more of an inside perspective. A lot of what you're talking about and mysticism, it's something that I've heard through various music musicians, you know, specifically rappers. Underground rap was a big part of my early you know, teenage years waking me up out of the illusions of the modern world. Groups like the the Poor Righteous Teachers, you know, were a big one for me. Army of the Pharaohs later on, Immortal Technique. You know, how much of what you're talking about was in that early hip-hop movement? Because I feel like that was co-opted, that, that like, you know, I am movement and the potential of the human mind. Yeah, much of it was there. I mean, I got that from my dad, so I didn't need it in hip-hop. I used right. to listen to Jay-Z and Tupac. Right. <laughs> and Biggie. And then I desired more of, like, the Kanye West type of material that's a little bit more real and not, like, so uh, retarded, I guess you can say. <laughs> well, and that was, that was for me, like, just looking at the, you know, what was popular in 2006, 7, 8, 9 when I was a young kid, you know, that's a lot of what it was, this ignorant music that turned yeah. me away and turned me towards the more underground music where they're mm-hmm. talking about what's really going on. But that's, the, that's the beauty of choice, man. Right. You know, people talk about, you know, well, this is the music that's popular today. And it's like, well, you couldn't make the other music popular. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Again, it's choice, right? Like we choose to make the ignorant stuff popular, but just stop listening to that. And listen to the good stuff, right? You know, like there's always gonna be that underground. 
It's always going to be that. If you got mainstream, mainstream crazy and underground. People go, yeah, that's what they're doing over there, but that's what we're doing over here. I'm like, you can go there. And a lot of times, artists do well in the underground. Nipsey Hussle did well independently. Nipsey Hussle did very well independently. You know? So, you don't always need their help. You don't even need their assistance. You can work side by side. See, the thing is, especially in the music game now, they're not even signing artists anymore. They're making business deals. Like, if I'm already packing shows out, okay, now they want to sign me because I'm a proven concept, right? They're not investing in anything that's not already a proven concept. It's not already moving and making money, right? Or it's a potential to make money because it's already moving. But that's really what it comes down to. They swoop in, for example, that's where Karl Marx was right about the middle class, right? Like, middle class complains about the decisions of the poor, right? Especially when the poor go to vote and they all vote Democrat. So they get upset. And they're like, oh, why do you guys keep voting? It's just like, well, the government's the only one offering them a solution. The government's the only one helping them. Like, the middle class has the, the, the uh, capability to organize and take over the role of the government at any time they wanted to. And then it would render the government obsolete, but you don't take care of the poor, right? You don't give them options. You know, you don't bring them up into your world. You kind of like look at them like there's something wrong with them. And Marx is right about that. The middle class are fucking a bunch of stuck up assholes. Absolutely right. So again, if the middle class got their act together, a lot of these problems wouldn't be able to be exploited because that's all they do. They exploit problems. Okay, this group needs something. They're not getting it. They're not getting it. Then boom. I'll step in and pretend to give it to them. All right? Then you wonder why they don't vote your way. If you're the guy feeding the poor, who do you think the, court, the poor are going to vote for? Whoever you tell them to. Because you're feeding them. Right? Right. Okay. Government feeding people. You say what you want. As bad as it may be, as, as detrimental as the long-term effects may be, they feed the people. I don't people you fed them. <laughs> Right, right, right. So, because they have a not monopoly on aid, they get to dictate a lot of things, man. We gotta help each other, man. We gotta help each other. Gotta help each other. That's my one of my motivations for being rich is just so I can help the poor. I'm like, I can do so much for the poor if I had a billion dollars. And I'm not saying give them money. I'm just saying like I can create like real programs, institutions. It's really what I'm into. Systems, institutions, cultures, concepts, and ideas. Mm -hmm. So what's next? What are you working on in 2022? Anything that you want to share with us? Homeschooling. Homeschooling. In light of what happened over the past two years is, yeah, I think a lot of parents should make that choice. Get their kids Mm -hmm. unmasked and uh, home where people actually care about their well-being. But yeah, tell us more. You know, homeschooling, homeschooling, you don't even have to be at home. Like, Mm. you know, homeschooling pods. Right. You can post up anywhere and teach a class, right? So there's there's pods, you know, check your local your local districts, et cetera, and find pods. But you know, seven people can go in on a class together and, and get their children taught. It's not that hard. Depending on where you live, of course. Some places it's easier than others, right? But I think as we support the community and grow it out, it'll become easier to do this, right? It'll be like more of the culture, like, yo, now nah, I don't want kids and make so we're complaining about like what they teach our children. Well, why do we keep sending our children to those institutions? <laughs> control your child's education, right? Right. So that's what's good about having pods because it's like, 
You can take somebody. It's even beneficial for the teacher, right? The teacher's going to make probably going to get a 20 to 30% or more increase in, in salary would have would not even have to work. Like, all right, now I only have seven students. I got to do it for the year, you know, <laughs> especially if the high school students, well, you know, you just took away a whole bunch of classes that the teacher would have to be responsible for. Teacher has less, less hours, less work, right? She only has to grade seven tests. And it also means she gets to spend more time with these students. It's the future, man. We had a great talk, bro. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, man, it was awesome having you here. I wanted to get into a lot more, so we'll definitely have to schedule something again. And uh, tell us where we can follow up with you. Obviously, your website, hotepnation.com, briansharp.co. You got two books, three books, right? Follow me on YouTube. YouTube. Hotep Jesus on YouTube. Follow me on YouTube. Cool. You got to understand me before you, you, you dive into my world. And, and YouTube's the best way. If you go to my Twitter first, you'd be like, what the hell's going on? <laughs> okay. It's too dynamic. And we got I Sharp Conversations, voice. right, of the podcast. Yeah, yeah, that's all on my YouTube. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Don't even worry about that. Mm-hmm. Right you know, on, man. Thank you, bro. Yeah, thank you for being here. And uh, listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Follow up with Brian Sharp, a.k.a. Hotep Jesus. He's doing great work out there. And thank you so much for listening. Have a great moment wherever you are. In the now. Peace. All right. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for being here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. What a great conversation with Hotep Jesus. Could have did without him eating, but, you know, Hotep is a big guest. He's been on Joe Rogan. This is a growing podcast, and I am honored to have him on the show nonetheless. A lot of excellent information in his book the patriot report discussing the history of the banks and i think that is just so important to understand this sort of history of what we take for granted in our society and obviously 10 years ago this conversation might have been a little different but with the advent of cryptocurrencies A lot of people have a lot of hope. I'm not going to be the one to hand out the black pills. I too share a lot of hope in cryptocurrency, but you can never be too sure. And I wanted to read a quote that was addressed towards John Law, a man that we discussed in the interview today, an economist who sort of innovated some aspects of the fiat currency system that we all live under and a political cartoon of his time described him in a sort of goofy photo with like kind of looks like he's like sitting on a cloud of hot air you know and the text on the side of this political cartoon reads the wind is my treasure cushion and foundation Master of the wind, I am master of life, and my wind monopoly becomes straightway the object of idolatry. Very interesting to see that. To see that and see how money today in our modern world is idolized. And it is really like the air, you know? Just seems to slip through your fingers. Speaking of money, Help me out, folks. We got a lot of 
awesome plans for this podcast and we can't do it without your support this month we're doing a 322 march 22nd meetup in new haven if you're local to the area come on down at 2 45 p.m we're gonna meet in front of the book trader cafe and go on a free fun walking tour of new haven to be an acupuncture needle and the collective consciousness of New Haven, Connecticut. And along the way, have some fun and expose some of the symbology that you can see right on the buildings. You don't even have to go inside. You could just see it right on the outside of the building. So I'm excited to do that. Uh, I know not many of you happen to be in Connecticut, but that's all right. If you're in Massachusetts, Rhode Island, New York, and you want to drive down and have fun, I know a lot of other folks that are going to be there who've already told me, yep, I'm coming, maybe even some podcasters, maybe even Michael Wan. So come on down, 322 this March, March 22nd at uh, 2.45 p.m. And we're going to try to get to a prime location, which I'm sure you know if you understand the reference, by 3.22 p.m. So go to thehiresidemeetups.com to check that out. Shout out to Greg for allowing us podcasters to use his very, very cool meetup site. I ought to do one for No Agenda, too, because I know they have a very similar thing going on there. And yeah, you know, this conversation with Hotep Jesus definitely uh, was shorter than I had liked, but, you know, hopefully he'll come back on the show. Seemed like he had a lot going on that day. Um, that's all right. Some future guests coming out after this one. We've got Keith Corneluck, the host of Modem Mischief, a podcast about hackers in the 21st century. Some cyber criminals. Pretty wild stuff. Talked about Edward Snowden, talked about Ross Ulbricht, among others, lesser known hackers like the Lizard Squadron and the Soup Nazi. Anyways, here we are, folks, in the outro. It's a Monday, Monday episode, so we don't have very much else to say. Be sure to sign up on Patreon to get all of our bonus content. We've got so much stuff there for you to check out. We've got some new reviews, folks reviewing the show. Why don't we go and read some reviews? Open up the mailbag. Let's see. All right. We got some good reviews. Five stars. Great show. What a podcast. Keep getting my mind blown more every day. Thanks for leading such great conversations into the unknown parts of reality. You're welcome. Tyler P. Appreciate you, dude. Next one, quality podcast. Mark is a great host. The conversations are nebulous and diverge from the script that sometimes guests have when answering the same old questions across different shows. Thank you, Lacey. I appreciate that. Lacey's in our Telegram chat. Shout out to all of our friends in the Telegram chat. Join in our Telegram to be a part of the community. Well, I'll wait here. And when you find out, send me a Telegram. That's right. Send me a Telegram. And if you're a patron... You sign up for the Patreon, you get access to an exclusive patrons-only telegram where all the fun's going on. And if you like that kind of community, we also do a monthly Zoom meetup. And given that we're having a sort of in-person meetup this month, I think we'll do the Zoom meetup maybe like the week after, the last month of March. That way I can fill everybody in on what happened uh, if 
you know, you happen to be far and away. I know some really awesome friends of mine who have supported the show for the past few months happen to be all over the country. So if you want to join the family, it's not hard. $2 a month is all it takes, and you get access to the early releases of this podcast. You get them a week ahead of time if I can keep a normal work schedule. I got a lot going on, folks. I'm doing podcasts all the time. And speaking of this podcast, we have another review. Love this podcast. Five stars. I can relate to the last episode. I'm nine from Tucson. I'm definitely going to contact Clutch. I'm planning on doing a podcast on how I was targeted by the feds in Tucson. Pretty crazy. People do they the same stuff. Okay. That didn't really make a lot of sense towards the end there. Could be my fault. Shout out to you, Nine. I appreciate the five stars, and I look forward to hearing that podcast. Send me a link, dude. Send me a link. The best place to send any links is on the Telegram. And before I go, I just want to remind everybody that it is the month of Merch Madness. That's right, Merch Madness. Use the promo code MERCH88, MERCH88. On our Teespring store, you can find the link in the description. It's the first link in the description. And we got some badass shirts, okay? If you want to let the world know what kind of conspiracy theories you fuck with, you're going to need one of these shirts. Whether it's Hollow Earth, JFK, the Brotherhoods of the Serpents, who knows? I don't know what you like. So I've got a bunch of shirts, like 70 freaking shirts. If there's not one, for you then hit me up and say hey i want checkers on a shirt hey i want uh plaid i don't know let me know this is a work in progress same thing with the podcast if you have any guests that you'd like to see on the show join the telegram send me a message it's not hard that's it great conversation with hotep jesus not easy to have this sort of race relationship kind of conversation i think i did it well Walk the tightrope. Hotep is a really awesome dude. Brilliant thinker, way ahead of his time. And I appreciate him having patience with me and my naivete. And uh, and it was good to hear him say that he had a great time too. Because I think I'm really polishing my skills here as a podcast host. And if you agree, leave us a nice message on Apple. That's about it for us now, folks. Thank you so much for being here and enjoy the moment wherever you are in the now. <laughs>